You're listening to Late Nights, on In Between Stations Radio, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, with host David Hartley. You're listening to Late Nights, on In Between Stations Radio, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, with host David Hartley. Good night from In Between Stations Radio in Flagstaff, Arizona. This is a live broadcast in the shortwave medium, so we get all over the place, not just localized. We go out there. We're still an old radio station. If you have a tube radio, you can turn that on and actually pick us up if it's shortwave radio. If not, you're going to have to listen to us in our podcast form. So it's autumn time. And uh, towards uh, towards the end of October, and then November will come come in, and uh, we have that wonderful holiday now that's almost as popular as Christmas, <laughs> Halloween, and uh, we have Day of the Dead, uh, and all these ceremonies that indigenous communities hold in celebration of ancestors in the past. Uh, well, a lot of interesting things going on here in the deep heart of autumn time. So um, welcome to the radio show and let's start talking about the end of October and the beginning of November. We're getting a pretty good listening audience now. I get a lot of emails. Uh, I, I, so this is our email address officially because we have a couple of other places that people have been sending us emails. So folks, this is it. In between stations radio at gmail.com. So please send your email there. Because <laughs> I've been getting it at my other, I won't mention email addresses. So we have in between stations radio at gmail.com. Just send me whatever you want or murky and we'll answer your questions the best we can. Keep up or keep on going with the crazy stuff. We don't care about that. In fact I like that more than the questions. <laughs> And remember, you know, in shortwave radio, we have what's called DSL cards. So when you hear a broadcast or a radio station, uh, you write down the frequency and you write down the strength of it and the time of day and the season. And then you send that uh, to that station if, if they give you an address and, and they'll send you back what's called a DSL card. And we do have DSL cards. We have um We've sent them to people all over the world. And then you, in turn, send, send us some kind of a DSL card. We have a cute one with Gunner, my beloved, wonderful, crazy dingo healer. Uh, Gunner is going on 11 years old now. That's 77 years in dog, dog years. Is that right? <laughs> He's in good shape for being 77 years old. We just... Uh, we were just in the forest not too far from here, really beautiful place, uh, not far from the San Francisco peaks, thick forest and big open meadows with grass that go up to your knees and waist. 
and we're we're there. Uh, let me just grab some coffee here. What do I have in my coffee this morning? Not much. It's just straight coffee. But I will add to it as the broadcast goes in this evening. Murky might drop in. Uh, she just wants to stick to programming uh, right now because she's busy doing other things with school and uh, other. She works at other stations sometimes. We're going to have her uh, on in, a, in another interesting way, and you might be in for a big surprise because she has some cool things to tell us. So anyway, I and Gunnar are standing in this big open meadow. We'd come out of the forest, and it's it's the sun is just set, this blood red sun because we've, we've had fires, uh, not, not bad ones here in Flagstaff. We've had enough of those the last few years. We haven't had any really bad fires this year, thank God. So um, it gives the sun this unusual uh, blood red uh, quality. It's just huge as it's going down in the west, just in this little uh, space between the peaks and the mountains here. You can see it. And so I and Gunnar are walking, and uh, he has his um, harness on. Uh, he's a powerful dog, even though he's older. And if he wants to break loose, he can. But he's gotten a little more tame. He's always been kind of wild and he's grown up in the forest and mountains he's logged thousands of miles he doesn't do that too much running and walking with me uh, he's my right hand man and he knows if I let him go he could if I drove 30 40 50 miles out of town he would know the way back home he knows all the trails uh, and so he has an extensive map in his head I like to say Gunner has the largest territory of any dog I know in Flagstaff and I mean <laughs> literally because I used to run on I don't run as much. I used to be an ultra runner, uh, and I've kind of cut down. I, I run, I don't know, 25, 30 miles a week. That's not too much. When I used to run close to 120, uh, and it's an ultra runner. You, that's all you do is run. And I, I just, I, I don't have time for that. I mean, I, I'm, in for, I'm in for the enjoyment of it, and uh, for, and so I, I run, uh, and I'll run this morning, oh, five, six, maybe seven, ten miles. And then I'll take a break and go hiking uh, later on with Gunner uh, in the afternoon or evening, as, as I'm going to tell you here. I just kind of enjoy it. But I always keep up my cardiovascular, so at any, any time I can just get out of my car. And, and actually, I like to always say, run straight up the mountain. And, and I literally, yeah, do that. And I'm getting older. I mean, I'm middle age, uh, and there's a lot of good runners. And I think it's important to keep yourself in, in shape and, and watch what you eat and always be active. Uh, we, we live in a world where you can be very inactive and people that are even really young don't have a good cardiovascular. And my uh, friend across the street, I talk about him occasionally. We're supposed to have him on the show, but he's been busy. Uh, he's a mortician. He has quite a, a big uh, funeral home not far from here. Great guy. And we were going to talk about his job uh, as a... Because we is an undertaker, and uh, he took care of a lot of people during COVID. I think he said three hundred people or more. He prepared their bodies after they died, and he was he really he and he said, Dave, you know the thing I came up with because I asked him, so what's the what's the deal with uh, with COVID? And he said, and the autopsies he did that ninety percent of the people that he took care of were people that were out of shape. Uh, there were a few people that weren't, and we and our people that had uh, health problems, pre-existing problems, overweight. Um, he said that, that seemed to be, you know, and he's not a doctor, he said, but he said when he went, 
when he looked at the bodies and did analysis and stuff, a lot of these people just were already sick or, or, or were uh, inactive. And um, he said he felt that was a lot of the problem with, uh, with COVID, which is still going on. I just, I, I, when I refer to it as post-COVID, that basically means um, that we're past the isolation period, where, where we all had to stay in our houses, where we all were wearing masks. And uh, so that's when I refer to it as post-COVID, that's what I mean. I mean, COVID's still going on, still killing people. Uh, I have a really close friend that's quite sick. He's been fully vaccinated and he still uh, got really sick. Uh, I've only been sick once. I don't even, I'm not even sure I had COVID. Um, and I've just had uh, a few of the vaccinations. I have had them. I have friends that haven't been vaccinated and they've never had COVID. And I have friends that didn't vaccinate. Uh, close my close friend I grew up with, Jeff, he's dead. And I can't say for sure that it was COVID that killed him, but there, he did have it and he was in the hospital. So there's a lot of questions of what, uh, what is COVID. And um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I remember my great grandma, uh, Sarah, uh, she lived in the San Luis Valley in Southern Colorado. I was, I was a, you know, I was just a young boy, seven or eight years old, and I used to go visit her, and uh, she was a wonderful person. And then my other grandmother, I mean, these people are born, uh, my great grandfathers were born just out of the 19th century, early 20th century. So these are people that actually went through the Spanish flu. And my great grandma, Sarah, said that the flu would go down the street and the Spanish flu and, and it would just take a wipe an entire family out or there'd be one person in a family and, and that person would die and the others would not. And uh, so that was always a big question. And, um, and of course they took precautions and they didn't have vaccinations because uh, they had a pneumonia or bacterial shot they gave, but you know, it really didn't work with Spanish flu. But they wore masks and they kept things really clean. There was a lot of a lot of flus and really bad illnesses that were connected with the Spanish flu, like now. But that was her question: was why why did it seem to be so focused on some people and not others? Just seemed to some people didn't get sick at all with the Spanish flu, and yet and so I think that's what we're up against now. I think we, we there's a lot of questions. And that's a big thing because I, I have a wide variety of friends. So I have friends that have not been vaccinated uh, that died. A lot of people died in the reservations. Uh, some of my friends did. And that's still, we don't know completely why. That really, really hit the reservations. Lots and lots of people died, especially elders. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of questions. Um, why And why, why do I have friends that never got vaccinated and they never been sick not even one day not they not even had a slight flu uh and yet some of the uh, other friends that didn't get vaccinated died and some have just some of the vaccinations and and uh then i have other friends that's had all the vaccinations and they still get sick really sick like i have a friend from hopi right now living here in town and he he got really sick and he's been fully vaccinated so there's a lot of questions and uh, I, and, uh, and this isn't about covid i don't you know we all are sort of tired of that um but so back to the forest um we're eyeing gunner the sun setting this big blood red sun and you can hear the ravens and it's just beautiful and you can and, and it's, it's quite it's been quite cold here it's uh 23 25 degrees something like that uh, Fahrenheit. And I, 
<laughs> I don't want to do Celsius. I got to start doing this stuff because I have listeners that don't. They they do it. You know, they keep track of things different in meters. You know, elevation and uh, um. You know, converting things to another system. But but anyway, twenty five degrees. It's pretty cold, and 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 you could feel uh, this almost like a little light earthquake. This kind of uh, you know, the, yeah, it's just the, the earth's kind of shaking a little bit. And and we look in the forest, you know, in these big ponderosa pines, and then there's a, a, a large mountain in front of us that's covered with pine trees, and all these elk come out of, of the forest. And there it's, it's a lot of elk, like at least 50 or more. And this is during the hunt right now, and people aren't having too much success in the elk hunt. But I and Gunner, you know, we cover these... Uh, we cover this landscape a lot, so we know it well. And this is an elk herd that we've been around for a number of years. And they know Gunner. <laughs> they have little calves in there. And they have these big, there's, a, I think, two huge male bull elks. One was at the back. So the herd passes and passes, and there's little, there's little calves, and they're pretty big. You know, elk are big animals. And, and, and the cows, and they all have basically the same color. You know, a light tan brown, and their mane maybe is, is almost black. And they all look pretty much the same. And these are huge animals. Even the, even the, the cows, the females, are, are eight feet, at the, you know, at the shoulder. And um, so they're big animals. And, and, and you can feel the whole earth just like all the feet. You can feel like this little earthquake. You know, it's just rumbling. Not like a earthquake you know it's it's a herd and they and they run by us and then they stop at the end at the end of this 50 or more um elk is this huge bull elk and he's almost completely white and he has a blonde mane he stops and turns and looks at us and, and this animal is well close to nine feet high or more and, and the spread, the antlers, is just gigantic. This is probably the biggest male elk I've ever seen. And I just, you know, and Gunner, <laughs> Gunner knows enough. No barking. Let's just watch. So we're just in awe. Both our mouths are open. Gunner's panting, or maybe not. Maybe he's holding his breath. And the male stops, I say 20 yards away, and, and looks at us. And basically what he says is, don't come over here. Don't bother my herd or we're going to have problems. And I know these animals, are they're fairly gentle most of the time, but they can be extremely aggressive, aggressive during this time of year. This is when they uh, bugle and they make this high, shrill pitch. Um, I, I, it's just a I wish I could play it. It's just this this shrill pitch, and it can carry for a mile or more. And and this is the time of year you just kind of avoid the males because the males are very aggressive. And 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 you know an elk an elk could easily kill a, a dog or a human, and they have killed dogs. But we're not hunters, and we kind of know this herd, and so we just stand there in fascination. And the funny thing about that is the herd is fascinated with us, and because we've been going to this uh, landscape for. I have for 26 years, and Gunner for the full extent of his life since he's been a, a pup. Uh, they know us, and so they kind of circle around us, 
and they're curious. And so the, for the next 45 minutes, this elk is, you know, with, with cows, the female, the mothers, and their little calves, which are probably, there's a couple of yearlings and, and a couple of uh, older ones, you know, two years old. And they're with in this herd. And they just, so it's just this fascination. And so we just kind of sit in the grass and we enjoy something that probably most people don't get to enjoy. Uh, you know, with a little caution there because the, the, there's two large bulls in this herd. Or maybe maybe there's three. So, um, all right. Look, you know what? Let's go to a song and then we'll come back and, and we're going to talk about the ghost roads. And I talk about that a lot and, and why they're called the ghost roads. And there are ghosts on these roads. And we're going to talk about that. Let's go to a song.
We live uh, in the, I live in the Colorado Plateau, I and Murky and Gunner. We broadcast from the Colorado Plateau. What is the Colorado Plateau? Basically, uh, it has the highest concentrations of national parks uh, in the United States. And uh, th that's a lot. And probably some of the most, if not the most beautiful national parks in the United States. Um, it covers uh, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. And we have a lot of deserts. They're called high deserts. And, um, you know, actually, a, a little part of the, the plateau might go into Nevada. And I spent a better part of my life uh, soloing in the Colorado Plateau. And we have these deep, beautiful, red uh, sandstone canyons that are just unmatched anywhere else in the world. I think they have some in uh, Jordan, uh, Egypt, but... The ones, the, the canyons here are just, just amazing. Escalante and um, various other places. Um, so, but we also have high mountains, uh, and that's that's another beautiful feature. So we have these extreme variations in climate and elevation, uh, and that's and 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 these physical features that are unusual, like the Grand Canyon, which is one of many beautiful canyons, and a lot of this canyon country up in uh, north, extreme northern Arizona and uh, southern Utah, even to this day into the 21st century, there's canyons there that are untouched by modern people. There's just hundreds, I, you know, I think thousands. I spent 25 years soloing the canyon country of southern Utah and Arizona, so I kind of know what I'm talking about because <laughs> I've done a lot of it on foot. So there, there's, it's just made up of incredible uh, beauty. And in the Colorado Plateau, at least here in Arizona, we have 21 different Native American tribes. And in addition to the Spanish and English language, which are um, languages that are not Native, they came here uh, later on, uh, colonization, uh, the Spanish conquistadors and the colonists, the pilgrims brought the English and uh, French and um, but mostly English and Spanish. And then and in addition to that are these indigenous tongues that have been spoke here for thousands of years. So, uh, it, and it's amazing. I have some friends, I speak of them in the Pueblos. I have a friend, Hopi, a very close friend that I run with. He speaks five, at least five uh, indigenous languages in addition to Spanish and English. That is a lot. Uh, and, I, and I often say this, anybody, somebody in Europe would be hard pressed to speak that many languages fluently. And then also he incorporates the cultures because each of these Pueblos are different. Oh, yeah, he speaks Navajo as well because his great-grandfather was Diné. So um, he speaks fluent Navajo. That's right. In addition to all these Pueblo languages, there's 19, eight, 18 or 19 Pueblos in New Mexico on the Rio Grande mostly, uh, putting aside uh, Zuni, Acoma, and Laguna. I don't think they're right on the Rio Grande, and I think the rest of the Pueblos are on the, the Rio Grande River. My family, uh, my dad's family, is from the San Luis Valley, and my great-grandfather was a what we call an Indian trader. He ran a trading post and a fish and tackle store there uh, in the San Luis Valley uh, for, for a long time, and he spoke Spanish. His wife, uh, my great-grandmother, was Hispanic. I had two, <laughs> three great-grandmothers. Uh, one of them was uh, from uh, partly from Taos and uh, the, the Spanish, which what means the, uh, from the conquistadores, the people that came in in the 1500s, uh, part of her family is from there. So, um, and Josephine, uh, I, she was probably 
had a, a great impact on my life. And uh, so my family has been long in this area. Uh, so my dad's family, my mother's family are Mormon, and they came in the area in the 18, late 1840s, 1847. So, but my dad's uh, family has been here a long time in one form or another. And so the Southwest is my home. So um, I just want to lay that out. So, so um, what you're dealing with here is tremendous beauty and tremendous isolation. You can drive on the East Coast. I like to stay in every half hour pass through a state, uh, and a Providence. But here in Arizona, you can drive, in New Mexico, you can drive for five and a half hours and never, you're in wide open wilderness areas. So, and, and back areas, back roads, and, and never see anyone. Or just occasional cars, even on the highways, you might not see anybody. And so you can drive and drive, and you can be in utter sheer isolation and people get lost that even are from here still. And it's just a vast landscape that you could spend entire lifetimes getting to know it. And the reservations are set in the middle of the most, the deepest wilderness, the deepest unknown areas. And a lot of these areas are off limits to outside people. If you're not a member of the tribe, you can't go into some of these areas. And I don't like to mention areas, but there's a couple of canyon complexes not far from here. I think about an hour and a half uh, that uh, are could be easily some of the most beautiful national parks in the world. They're not national parks. Uh, Diné Navajo sheep herders live there, and Hopis go there and gather their eagles and do their sacred ceremonies. And one of these canyons is so utterly beautiful that it takes your breath away, and rarely ever is visited by white people because it's patrolled by these rangers that the Hopi and Navajo have. And if you don't have uh, permission to be there, and they know if you're there, it doesn't take them long to figure it out, they're going to arrest you or take you out. So you can't go in these canyons. And this one canyon in particular, I have a good friend, he is Diné, and he grew up with his great-grandfather. And he spent almost his entire life until he's out of high school in these canyons herding sheep, only speaking Navajo. Uh, Dene. Uh, and so uh, Dene Basad is what they say. It's the Navajo language. And a lot of the, and these tribes, uh, the Hopi and Navajo, uh, uh, Supai, a lot of these people, the older people, can speak several languages because that's how they used to communicate and trade. Uh, and uh, so, and, they, and today, and even to this day, they have intertribal things they share with each other. And also ritual knowledge and, and families, or, you know, their intermarriages there. So it's it, it's it's amazing place, and and people travel, you know, and say I'm going to to, to Tibet, or I'm going to go to Australia to see uh, the Aborigines, or I'm going to travel this exotic landscape, or I'm going to fly here. I'm going to go to, like I do go to South America, uh, to the Amazon, and I always say 81 miles from Flagstaff is all the exotic culture you could possibly want with the strangest and oddest things that are so different from the culture that I grew up in. Um, well, <laughs> I've always had indigenous friends, and, and especially Navajo. So I've never known a time in my life, excuse me, I'm going to have some coffee, where there wasn't someone from uh, Diné or Hopi or Zuni. So I, I, I've never known a life without my Native American brothers and sisters. Uh, so... Uh, I don't know what it's like, and I actually feel a little strange when I don't have 
indigenous or native people around me because I've incorporated their culture and their lifestyles. I'm at the village a lot. I have family uh, at Hopi. And I've fallen in love with a couple of natives. There's beautiful women and, and uh, um, incredibly intelligent and incredibly ha or have a very different cultural uh, outlook. It's thousands of years old. They were doing this stuff long before the pilgrims ever came here. So you, you have these wide open areas that may require that you, and I, you know, I, did I, I forgot the Ute, didn't I? I grew up with Utes too. <laughs> oh my God. See, there's all these tribes here. So, so I grew up with Utes when I was in Utah, uh, and that's a pretty big reservation. They've been around a long time too, and they, they, they kind of were, uh, more uh, were wanderers, especially when the horses came with the Spanish, and so they moved around a lot, uh, and so. Uh, Utes are interesting as, uh, as well, and I could spend a whole uh, number of broadcasts on, on the Ute uh, tribe. Um, they have a different Ute tribes, not just one, and these guys are, are amazing. Uh, and so, right, and, and so you can, if you want to go there, uh, there's a place, Ute Mountain in Colorado, um, there's Hovenweep, um, which is on, in Utah and Colorado, and you could just, you can drive forever. And, and, and you can really get lost and not even see anybody, and, and then run and then run into tribal people, uh, and they still, you know, these traditional practices, you know, they're modified. Of course, they have cars and computers, some of them, but some of them live very extremely traditional lives on purpose and isolate themselves from the modern element, uh, and I mean, they still have modern conveniences for God's sake. They're not living in two thousand years ago, but they do live a traditional life. So. You're out there, and a lot of times, and I've done some broadcasts, you know, I did a funny one with Gunner, where we're driving in the truck, and, you know, I and Gunner are on the road a lot, and and he knows where we're going. He knows if we're going to Tuba City, uh, this is uh, a little town uh, about 85 miles um, northeast of Flagstaff, and uh, I've run the desert a lot there, and so I've run these distances I, I, on foot. Uh, so I, I kind of know the landscape that's roadless as well. And that's the point I'm going to make is once the roads end, and they do end, then you have this hundreds of miles of just sheer isolation. And in that are these ancient uh, the villages where people have lived here thousands and thousands of years. And it, the, amazing things, you know, artifacts and pottery. And, and so in addition to this incredibly beautiful landscape, you have this amazing ancient history. Now that we outsiders saying go back 25, 30,000 years now with the, with the footprints in New Mexico and in the West Desert in Utah. But that's nothing new for indigenous people. They've now, they're, they've they come from here. They don't come from anywhere else. They come from the earth. So tens of thousands of years. They have a different dating system than we have. Like when I was in Saudi Arabia, when I was in, in the middle of the desert, you know, close to Iraq during the war, um, they, that, in the Middle East there, they have a different dating system uh, with Muhammad having his, uh, his Quran uh, and, and, his, and the visions and the angels appearing to him. And when he... Uh, when the Quran was written, they have a different dating system that dates from, I believe, that, um, that event. So when you go there, it's not 2023. And, that, and here at the tribes, it's the same thing. They have a different dating system. I mean, of course, they work 
and they're employed in you know in the outside world so they they and they have clocks and they have computers you know but in their ceremonial system the way they date things and when they look back in history they have a, a totally different way of looking at time and and so it's it's a little weird although a lot of uh, some uh, a group of people now that are indigenous like Hopi and Navajo are getting involved in the fields of uh, archaeology and they, and they're having and, and, and it's turning the the science upside down in a lot of ways because it, it was it's a science that's from it's made by outsiders to view and and, and study a culture not a member of from an outside standpoint and when you get people that's actually grown up in the in the tribe and they are part of the archaeology and the anthropology it produces a whole different way of looking at things so let's go to a song Talking about uh, the reservations uh, in northern Arizona, the big wide open uh, wild areas, wilderness areas where there's no houses and, and there's beautiful rock formations and big open deserts and canyons and, and driving on these roads on, on such places as Monument Valley. These big wide open vast areas of sol solitude where you often don't run into anyone when you're in your car so uh, uh or, or hiking or soloing so back to the ghost roads here we go so the ghost roads it's a term i use a lot 
in both a humorous way and and in, in, in an actual literal way, these these roads uh, are haunted, and they've been haunted for thousands of years, long before they were paved or vehicles, cars are on them. They were known places that the ancestral dead came to, and then walked along. And this is a there's not a lot of division. I mean, there's protection, there's warnings uh, between the 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 ancestral dead and the living. But, you know, it's important to stay alive in this world and do the things you need to do in this world and be assigned those tasks and not be preoccupied with the other world. And that's what medicine people do, and they're trained to, to do that. So there's kind of this, uh, this kind of a warning. You know, be careful. Uh, there's certain things you do. Don't get involved in these other realities. Because, you know, the ancestral dead, they live in a world, they work... They have the things they do, and then there's also uh, these these beings that are stuck in between worlds. And there's these shamanistic powers. There's these medicine people that are both good and, and not so good. And it's the not so good ones you have to be careful about. And so they wander along these pathways, and these pathways have been known for thousands of years. You, and you don't go unless you, have, you know, and you have to move across this wide open landscape and go to another tribe or another village, and you have to be careful. And I'm telling you, I've been in these places and I've soloed them on foot, and I've walked these canyons, and I've walked these mountains, and I've walked these deserts. There are some spots that are just unexplainably weird that are so out there that you don't need to be on hallucinogenics or anything else just being in that spot can literally mess you up for weeks and days it's out of time it's out of whack there might be an ancient village there that's almost fully intact the pottery's intact what we call artifacts are there and there's stuff there's energy going on and and this is, this is uh, you know, the tribes talk about this, especially the Pueblo people, that the ancestral Pueblo were, were time travelers. They were people that had the power to move through alternate realities. This is well known. And in some of these villages, like Chaco Canyon, you have, up brick, you have bricked up doorways. And these are portals, some of them, are, are entrances into the other world. And... Uh, there's a lot of things <laughs> that's really hard to explain. And it, when you get to know, uh, when you have good friends and you go to the reservation, well, there's certain uh, things that you carry with you, plants and prayers, and uh, just so you can make safe passage. And folks, even without that stuff, it's a dangerous landscape to travel. And, and even today, with cell phones, there's a lot of places that are just dead spots. You can't. The cell phone will not work in that area. And that may be like that for over an hour. There's no cell phone coverage. You can't get a hold of anybody. There's no phone. There's no, there might be a Hogan, you know, an hour away. And, and that person in that Hogan, even today, may, if they're older, may only speak Navajo. And you, what are you going to do? So you have to be prepared. You have to carry tools. You have to, you have to be able to fix your own car. You have to be prepared when you go on these roads. And, and you have to know someone. You can't just drive on the reservation. You can get in trouble. You can be arrested. Uh, and other weird things can happen. <laughs> uh, alternate realities that are so bizarre, otherworldly, 
that I, I can't really explain to you what it's like to encounter these these uh, vacuums in space and time, these, these, these places that are so strange. The physical landscape is so beautiful and so weird, uh, a big, deep canyon, no water, or maybe there's springs there, and, and you get lost.
all right, I had a part of an avocado, and I put cacao, uh, which is uh, where chocolate comes from, which used to be such a valuable thing, cacao, and it grew, this, this huge, can you call it a nut? I don't know. It comes in these casings on a tree, and it was so valuable and so coveted that it was used as money in the Mexico Valley, in the Mexican Valley. And with a lot of the tribes there, it still is. There's the cacao, there's the chocolate drink, which is amazing. So long before you had chocolate from Switzerland and you had Mars bars and Snickers, you had these cacao drinks that were used, uh, chocolate drinks, in ceremonies. And if you want to get into some powerful ceremonies, and I just went, I just experienced a, a fire ceremony. This, this group came from uh, Mexico, from Mexico. Uh, up to Flagstaff and perform, perform the Aztecan ceremony, the fire dance. Wow. Mind blower. Uh, and it was a sellout crowd. Uh, there, here at the museum where I work, uh, this, and with all these feathers and colors, and these are big, muscular men that are runners, uh, weightlifters. Uh, these are powerful men. <laughs> And even the women are beautiful, and they're powerful. And they put on a f the fire ceremony, which has to do with the sun. The sun going in, as we have less light in the winter, uh, you have these, these ceremonies that celebrate the beauty of the sun. And will the sun come back? Will, there be, will something happen? And so the sun is seen as a living deity uh, that was, was sacrificed to, that you worked for, uh, and that they knew that the sun had powerful storms. We're just now finding out that there have been solar storms on the planet of unprecedented cataclysmic uh, valor, valor. Can you say that? I mean, they're finding now, now with uh, geology, with fossil evidence, as they study this stuff, that we had unbelievably powerful solar storms that were so strong that set forest on fire. Yeah, they're just looking at this. We're in a, we're at the we're in a, at the the end of eleven year uh, solar cycle, and boy, we're having a hell of a uh, solar. We've had some amazing solar storms, and I think the Carrington event. I've talked about that in the mid eighteen hundreds. Was it later eighteen hundreds? Was the most powerful solar event that we've recorded in modern times, nineteenth century, if you want to call it modern times that we recorded, and that was amazing. You can look that up. We have things now that we're, they're talking about that may have been a 100 to a 1,000 times stronger than the Carrington event. Uh-oh. The tribes know about this. They know the sun can do things that, you know, can, can kill people, can, can change life on the planet. They know about asteroids. They know about these things that come, these, these flaming suns that come from space and hit the, hit the planet. Uh, they know about this, and so they have these. It's incorporated into these great solar ceremonies. So during the winter time, you have these these fire uh, ceremonies. The Hopi still have this, and other tribes still have uh, solar events. And so I, we got to see this uh, ancient fire dance performance. All these feathers of all these beautiful uh, birds in, in the rainforest and in the tropical regions in uh, central Mexico and Latin America, and 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 it's just absolutely stunning and amazing and so primitive and beautiful and these people actually put their skin and hands in fire and not for a few seconds for a long time they're very disciplined they meditate 
they're uh, in amazing physical shape, and they 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 still drink cacao chocolate. They take the hallucinogenic peyote, which has been used for thousands of years uh, in Mexico. Later, it came up into the Americas uh, during the the United States made uh, uh, tribal ceremonies illegal. And so the Native American church came up uh, and they brought this peyote from Mexico to the Kiowa, Kiowa and, and, and expanded out from there. And you have some Native American church now. So that hallucinogenic has been used for a long time along with hallucinogenic mushrooms and uh, a morning glory seed that uh, made a similar stimulant uh, hallucinogenic to LSD. So they, they do use these. And then tobacco, of course, which the, the native indigenous tobacco that grows here that's not, it's been here thousands and thousands of years, is, is powerful stuff. Wow. Yeah. And, and so they use that. Tobacco is a very sacred plant. All these plants are. So these, these things have been used in connection to these ceremonies. And so these beautiful colors you see in, in Mexico and Latin America, in South America that these tribes have are... are Part of the peyote, the um, yahe, the um, ayahuasca ceremonies, the and, and, and of course I've talked about I've used these a lot, and it does reform your mind. It does you, you it does change the way you see the world, and, and bright colors is part of that. So we got to see this fire dance, and it was just it was just amazing. And this is an association to. Uh, uh, Dio de Lamertos, um, probably said that, I don't, my, my Spanish is not too hot. Uh, we had an early Day of the Dead here, so the Day of the Dead is coming up very soon, and we can talk about that in another broadcast. So, putting that aside, let me have a drink of coffee here. <clears throat> so, you get on these roads, and, and uh, Hopis have a, a really interesting early ceremony after the first year uh, called the night dances. The night dances are one of the most beautiful things you'll ever go to. And these sacred deities, the Kachinas, um, which are full, full of these beautiful colors and, and just there's an unlimited amount of different kinds of Kachinas. There one, there's ones that come that that are used, uh, been used for hundreds if not thousands of years and those ones occur you know more on a regular basis and there's ones that aren't so good. but the night dances is part of the ceremonial event that happens all year long and so is the is early winter and there and there begins to be more sunlight after the uh, the solstice in the winter than the farming and all the and farmers get ready in their seeds and, and and so they, and they want moisture to come from their fields. And there's this whole uh, ritual that's based on disciplines and what do you do, uh, preparing food and, and getting ready and, and cutting firewood and, and honoring the sun and the stars and the seasons and living a really good and, and wholesome life. And that's in, in the ceremonial systems. And one of these is the night dances. And the night dances are incredibly beautiful. You really can't attend unless you've been invited. It's something you just don't show up at. You just don't go out to Hopi or Zuni or these places. You have to have permission. And you have to have friends or family. If you are invited to the night dances, it's one of the most amazing things you can ever experience in, in, in these 12 villages of Hopi. 
And so one of these nights in the, in the early, uh, later winter, February, uh, and this is done under the night, and it gets really cold up on these mesas out in the middle of the desert, these, these amazing ancient villages that sit on these 12, you know, these 12 villages that sit on these three mesas. And Orion is the prominent constellation which plays into uh, Hopi mythology and many of the tribes' mythologies. It's part of their whole observation of stars and their origins and uh, clans coming from places. And this is where this whole thing of interstellar ships, some Hopis believe that long ago, millions of years ago, that these ancient enlightened beings came to the planet and were part of giving the life process to the planet. Some hope. So, so flying saucers, and that's a big thing here still in northern Arizona. UFOs or flying saucers, we call them, play into the mythology of most of the tribes here. They've known about these interstellar beings for thousands of years. And we could spend a whole night talking about that bizarre thing. Because you think uh, UFO and alien abductions is something new? Uh-uh. <laughs> it's been going on a long, long time. And it's part of these spirit pathways, these roads, these things you have to be, you know, these places you have to be careful, these vacuums in space and time that exist in these big, wide open areas. These, these places were uh, interdimensional, where beings from other worlds and planets exist. That's the kind of thing you start running to on these remote roads when you've been driving for... <laughs> hour two hours and 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 so during ceremonies usually you don't travel you stay at the village you stay there and you sleep overnight and you know these ceremonials ceremonies go on all night long too but people that are uh, in the village can, can rest and, and, and eat and, and visit with family during this process but typically you're not supposed to leave during a lot of these ceremonies because they, they place protection barriers, they have guards, um, and, you're, and you're part of a very sacred process. So leaving is probably not the best advice. And then and anciently too, they're like, don't go outside these sacred parameters we set up during this ceremony because the portals to the other realms and worlds are open. And, and we know this, and these, uh, these beings come and visit, and all kinds of amazing things happen. You're supposed to stay put. Because the medicine people and the spiritual people in these societies um, set up protection barriers, especially this time of year. You just uh, when when the when the ancestral dead come back and visit, you have to be careful. So one of these nights, I was just really uh, really tired. I couldn't sleep, and I decided I'm going to drive uh, from Hopi back to Flagstaff, which is 85, close to 90 miles. And I have to drive in open desert on dirt roads. So I'm not going to take all highway. Half the journey is on a dirt road. And I know at 2 and 3 in the morning, I'm not going to see anybody. Now, these are places I know. These are places that I've soloed and I've walked with my dog and I've ran. But it's a different thing when there's big, deep sandstone canyons and these big, huge mesa tops. You know, some of them are just unbelievably big and isolated. And uh, these big, beautiful rock forms that you have to drive around and through. And you got to know where you're going. And remember, your phone doesn't work. You don't have a GPS a lot of times. 
and it can get really strange. And I know I got to drive cross country to get back to Flagstaff. And it's a really intensely starry night. I've just, you know, the night dances are over. I get in my, my car and, and I decide I'm going to drive home. I, this is when I'm, I'm married. So I call my wife up at the village before I leave because I have cell phone. No. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't think at this time, yeah, I think we did have uh, a primitive cell phone. So I call and said, you know, I'm going to head home. And my wife is like, at the time, um, are you crazy? You know, what, why are you coming? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, well, I can't sleep and decide to drive home. So, um, she's like, well, just stay there. And then, you know, my, my Hopi friend's like, no, 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 don't. We, after midnight, you know, during ceremonies, we don't, you don't drive back to Flagstaff. You just wait here until the sun comes up because all these strange things happen and it's known that they happen. And here I am, you know, and I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. So I turn on my, get in my truck, turn on my radio. I don't have gunner then. I don't have my dog with me. This is a solo. And uh, I start driving and, and I'm tired. And I, you know, and, I, and I pull over, you know, take a nap. But you get this sort of uh, marathon pace where you're going to drive until you get home. And you're not going to pull over except, you know, maybe to get rid of the coffee you've been drinking. And that's weird enough when you pull over on these roads and there's no cities. I mean, I can see Flagstaff. I can see the glow of Flagstaff over um, the peaks. The peaks are far away, but I can see the glow of the town there. But the stars are just, you know, you can have a, a telescope that, and it's, it wouldn't see the stars any better than I'm seeing. So you're out and it's cold and the wind's blowing and you're hearing, you're hearing coyotes and really weird sounds. And you're on a dirt road, and, you know, here's your car, you keep the engine on. I don't turn it off. I don't turn it off. So that's, you know, it's idling. You're looking up there. And then you hear something that you're not sure if it's in your mind or you're kind of half awake, of course. But you hear voices or something. And then it's, it's, almost, it's almost hallucinogenic. You know when you're really tired, and you're in between states of consciousness and mind, strange things can happen but so I heard something I heard I, I thought I, maybe it's the wind I, I don't know so I, I get I'm like oh, to hell with this I get back in my car <laughs> lock the doors you know it's a grown man locking the doors a lot of good that's good and um, get back on the road start driving uh, there's no lights I can't I mean I, there might be a couple of hogans Navajo uh, little farms I'm coming up on them, but they're still a little ways away and there's there's nothing if I break down and get a flat tire it's going to suck I'm going to have a flashlight I have extra tire to change things you got to have all this stuff but nobody wants to do it in the middle of the night right so and I, uh, I turn my radio on I love to listen to the AM radio I don't like to listen to preset uh, satellite radio you know, and that's the whole thing about in between stations. That we're about live, real radio, uh, and and getting this is you know the feel for that. And that's why you often hear the static in the background of these uh, broadcasts. We don't we don't cut that out. We, at first, we we're just doing stuff straight out of the studio, and then we decided, no, we're going to record these broadcasts off the radio, so you can get a feel for what it's like to listen to uh, to me live on shortwave radio. 
So I love uh, AM radio in particular. I like to switch AM because FM doesn't go along with it. And you can get uh, skip because of the ionosphere. You can get stations from a long ways away, especially down in Mexico. I'm not that far from the border. So you can get all kinds of really uh, trippy um, radio stations. And you, and you kind of do this to stay awake. So I, I switch on my radio. You know, it's probably a Mexican station. In fact, it was. It might even have been out of... Uh, Oh, I don't remember that the name of the place now, but they always have good music, and I'm tired, you know, and I have a little bit of coffee. I have a Coca-Cola. <laughs> it's an awful drink full of lots of sugar, but it does have caffeine. It tastes good, and it's keeping me awake. So I'm driving, and you know, and, and, and I try not to think of, you know, you know, you could get paranoid. Oh, am I going to have a breakdown? Am I get a flat tire? You know, what's going to happen? Uh, and you try to think about that, and you're like, I know I'm going to get back to Flagstaff and I'm going to get back in my bed and go to sleep in a nice soft bed and I hope he's back there. I'm kind of in between places, in between stations, in between Hopi and Flagstaff, in the middle of nowhere on this dirt road that's going through the Painted Desert, which has lots of deep canyons and high mesa tops. It's not just flat and open and, and, and it's, it's amazing and you know, I can see planets and stars even through my windshield of my car. It's just, it's, it's amazing. But I'm trying to stay awake, and, and, and I just kind of start falling asleep, and then you kind of, I kind of pull the steering wheel and come back on the road, and, and you know, it's like, Dave, why don't you just pull over and go to sleep? And I think I did a few times, but eventually I'm like, i got to get back. I don't want to be out here in the middle of nowhere. And I think maybe I should have stayed at Hopi with, you know, with my family there and, and not drove back in a nice warm house with the wood stove going. <laughs> and, have a nice breakfast in the morning, but I want to. I want to go back to my home in Flagstaff, and I think I even. I don't remember if I had to work the next day at the museum. I, I don't. And so having some more coffee here. I'm driving. Um, I, I can see my headlights. I don't. I don't have those really bright headlights that they have now. These are kind of dim, and, and uh, it's kind of my my lights and sometimes short out when I hit a bump. You know. They, and I have all the stuff to fix that. If I have to stop, I can adjust my lights. Um, but you think all this stuff, you know, I have all these dials in my truck you know, so I can keep track of my alternator's not working or something's not going on. And it wasn't computer, it's not computerized like now. But I have, I have things I can check. And you always think, oh, what if my alternator goes? <laughs> what if. What if, uh, it's, you know, I don't know, what if something drops off of my engine because you're hitting all these bumps and then suddenly the car doesn't work? I don't want to be working on anything in the middle of nowhere. You know, nowhere being that it's nighttime in, in, in the middle of the painted desert. So I'm driving along and then I, I phase out of that and I start going to sleep, you know, kind of hearing the radio station. And then this vivid, it, it didn't seem like a dream. But I, I guess it sort of was. I don't know. I'm in between states of consciousness, and I'm thinking of Flagstaff, and, and and I, I can see a car behind me, and 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 it doesn't have any headlights on. And then you know, I, I come back out of you know that kind of dream state. I'm like, oh, you know, wait, wait, no, no, no. There's no car behind me. And and so. It's in between a dream and it's in between conscious, I guess. So in the dream, I'm, I'm dreaming that I'm driving in the car that I'm in right now. <laughs> I'm looking at my mirror and I, I can see this 
vague image behind me. This it is old Dodge Dart, like a 1964 car. You know, I'm pretty good at makes a car. I can remember them well. And and, and it's all, it's this dented up old dusty car. And I and so then I and, and it's, it, I guess it's a dream I'm having. Uh, but because I keep waking up and there's nothing there. And then I get I sort of doze off. Yeah, this is dangerous. When you're trying. I, I take a, a sip of my Coca-Cola and I put that down, take a little bit of coffee and I tune the ra you know the radio station in a little bit uh, and, I, and I'm like, oh, come on, Dave, you know, this is ridiculous. You just pull over and go to sleep. And, but I don't. You know, I'm determined to get back to Flagstaff. And then I phase back into this dream. I don't even know if it's a dream. And, and, and so I'm looking in my mirror and this car is getting closer. And then I realize it's really weird because <clears throat> of my tail lights, I can see into the windshield of the car. I'm like, what is this? This is weird. What's this car following me for? But, you know, then I come back out of the dream and there's no car there. And <clears throat> I go back to sleep or, or whatever it is. You know, it's driving with your eyes open. Every good interstate truck driver knows <laughs> you do that. Uh, and, and I realize there's no one driving that car. It's like, it's it's empty, and the car's all dented up, and, and it's just it's just freaking weird, and it's it's, and so I, I kind of like, you know, come to or sort of wake up, you know, even with my eyes open, and, and and I'm like, Dave, you're dreaming, you know, pull over and go to sleep, and so this this inner this this thing interplays with my drive to Flagstaff, and uh, it just. It gets worse and worse, and so I find. And finally, I think I kind of woke up all the way. Uh, did I, maybe I pulled over and had a short nap. I don't remember. And so I, I, I did get home. It was like four thirty in the morning. It was really cold. And back in Flagstaff, I think it even snowed a little bit. Actually, went in my house. My wife's there, and she's like, "God, it's." early in the morning. Why didn't you just stay at Hopi? Why didn't you drive all the way back? Because I'm glad you made it back. I'm glad you made it back safely, but <clears throat> I want to go to sleep. I'm tired. So, you know, the kids are asleep. And, and uh, I, I, you know, I bring a few things in from the, from the truck and then I, um, you know what? It wasn't a truck. It was a Volkswagen Beetle. I had a, I had a 1969, because I've made so many trips with so many different vehicles over the years. Yeah, it was a blue Volkswagen Beetle. We even had a name for it, Elmer. That's what I was driving was Elmer. Now I remember it wasn't a truck. And I don't know if you've ever driven a Volkswagen Beetle, but it's an experience unlike anything else. And people get addicted to driving this. I mean, I think Porsche designed the original German, the Nazi cars. <laughs> And it, and it just, they're kind of fun to drive. So that's what I was driving. Now I remember. And uh, so I went and got my stuff out of it. You know, it's pulled in the driveway. And I got in bed. You know, and My wife's already sound asleep. And as soon as I hit the pillow, I started dreaming. And I had the worst nightmares. It's this same car. I'm back out in the desert. And this car keeps bumping into my, my bumper over and over and and then i seen a, a a horrible accident just just the most the worst and i was working at the hospital this time just the most 
blood-soaked, awful, ripped-up body carnage rollover accident I could possibly imagine. And the and that that car, this this 1964 Dodge Dart, uh, was in the dream and it was brand new. And there's something wrong with the wheel. It kept the dream kept focusing on the wheel. That I got this, it got a flat tire and it rolled. And it was on a highway. No, no, no. No, it, it's, it, it, it had been driving on a highway and it was on this same dirt road I was on. And I think the person actually went to sleep. I don't remember the dream. So I, it just, I, and it, this nightmare got worse and worse. I couldn't, so I woke up and went in the kitchen. I'm like, oh my God, what is going on here? And I, 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 and I, I keep journals and I wrote this down in my journal. Anyway, so four or five days later, I'm, I, I call up my Hopi friend. He, no, no, it was a, maybe it was the next morning. Because, you know, I, I made so many trips over the years and, and had so many weird experiences. So I, I, I kind of checked in with him because he wanted me to call. That's what happened. And, and make sure that I made it. I said, yeah, I made it, you know, and I'm okay. And he said, anything strange happened? I said, what, <laughs> what do you mean anything strange happened? He said, well, I had a dream. He said, you know, I had a dream that uh, that you were having a really hard time driving back to Flagstaff, that you almost got in a wreck. And I said, well, you know, that's funny because I was really tired and I had a hard time driving back. And so I see, I told you not to drive back during ceremonies. I'm like, well, yeah, but you know me. And he's like, yeah, I do know you. And you always do nutty things like that. <laughs> so... I, I, I told him what happened, and, and he, he wasn't even surprised. He didn't even hesitate. He's like, yeah, we know about that stuff. He said, all of us know about this car. He said, even before cars around, it was a wagon. He said, and, and there's many, many stories about the same situation that you have. He said, you know, Dave, a lot of people have died in car accidents. A lot of people, he said, you know, this, this corridor 89, the highway 89, because I worked in the emergency room at the Flagstaff Hospital for almost six years. There's a lot of accidents on, on, on these roads that go back and forth across the reservation. People have to drive to work, uh, and tourists come, uh, and there's a lot of wrecks, especially in the early morning hours. People go to sleep, or there's people that are drunk. There's some horrible uh, traumas that I was involved in in the early morning hours at the hospital, and sometimes late at night. So yeah, these accidents do happen, and so my friend, and I'm not mentioning his name because he, you know, he told me not to. <laughs> He's a really close friend of mine, I hope you've known him for years, He's my brother. So he said, there's usually two kinds of uh, stories, Dave. Usually it's either a beautiful woman hitchhiking, and you're not supposed to pick her up. He said, or typically what it is, it's this car or truck that doesn't have anybody driving it. And he said, usually, that means something bad's going to happen. And, and he said, that's usually a premonition that you need to either pull over and, and take a nap, or you're going to get in a wreck. And maybe you're going to join that that dead person. Because <laughs> this is this whole thing is this, this uh, it's between the living and the dead, and and. and and these, these sort of ghost entities walk these roadways and these pathways and something, uh, some tragic accident happened. You know, we all watch the haunted movies. You know, people, oh, that's a movie. You got that from a movie. Well, long before movies 
and long before books were haunted ghost stories. If you know any good Irishmen, and I have several in my family, and part of my family comes from Ireland, oh my God, nobody can tell good ghost stories like Irishmen. And it's the same thing with Native Americans. A good Hopi, a good Zuni can scare the hell out of you <laughs> in a way that you, if you're the most rational and scientific person, they're, they can unnerve you in big time. Because this stuff is, the interdimensional realities are alive and well on the reservations. Uh, and, or, and, and still in Ireland. I have a, a good friend that lives in Cork and he speaks Gaelic. And, and she, his wife, speaks Gaelic. And they still live traditionally. These guys are, they're like Native Americans. They've lived in Ireland thousands of years. And so these, these so when, Sam, Sam Hain, these, these, these ceremon ceremonies for the dead, Day of the Dead, um, have been held all over the world. They know this time of year, the autumn time of year, when the sun goes in, there's less sunlight, and the sun goes into his um, his dark house, his night house, meaning there's not as much light, uh, the, then these strange things happen. There's a, The nights are longer, they're colder, uh, and just the state of mind changes. And then before modern times, that's when people got sick, that, that's when flus came like COVID. That's when you had to burn the fires, and thus the fire ceremony that we had put on here just recently in Flagstaff by this uh, traditional Aztecan group from Mexico um, are important elements to hold. And I, and I think Christmas and New Year's are 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 sort of left over if, if you take off the Christian element of the, these ancient fire ceremonies. Uh, and so. So getting back to my friend, this phone conversation, he's in, and I think we had this conversation later in the village too, uh, that um, these, this haunted story is either it's a car driving with no one in it, or before that it was a wagon, and before the wagons it was someone walking, uh, and sometimes they wouldn't have a face. It'd just be this hole in, in their head that would be like a cave opening or something. There would be no face there. This is before the wagons. And when the wagons came, there would be wagons that, that would be driving along with no one in them. There, there's the horses and no one's driving the wagon. And then, then after that, the cars came. And so the and usually these hauntings or these uh, darker events are connected to tragedies or they're connected to sorcery or or, or what we call witchcraft the the, Span, uh, the brujos the spanish uh cultures are really strong here in the southwest and my family's part of those cultures i mean the spaniards came in the uh, early 1500s and so the you can trace your your ancestry back through the spaniards as well as the indigenous and native people and they intermarried too so these traditions uh these practices are, are sort of combined with Catholicism, with different Christian movements that came into the reservations later, uh, like the Spaniards were the first ones, and then you had the Mennonites, and you had the Catholic uh, religion. These are all combined uh, with the indigenous element. So, right, so that's my, my story of um, the ghost roads. And I, I have a lot more of these stories. Friends, I don't care how rational you are, and I can be pretty rational, and how logical you are, there's things that happen out there in that wide open area where 
Dene, Navajo, and Hopi, and Zuni are that you can't wrap your mind around. They're so strange and so otherworldly and so different than the culture you've grown up in and the reality that you think is the baseline for, for your life. Uh, it can really be disturbing in a good way and in a bad way. So that's, we're coming at the, uh, at the, at the hour limit here on uh, live radio and we're going to go to a song but in the in the podcast we're probably going to end this for the people that's going to just hear this on the podcast and then we'll continue with some really i have a real scary story now let's go to a song and i'm going to come back to something that's going to freak you out <laughs> you think that last story was weird i got something a hundred times more weird than that so we're going to play the song and come back to to if you're listening on live uh, shortwave radio uh, we're going to come back and we're going we're to freak you out in a big time way. Uh, so um, if you're listening to the podcast, that's kind of the end of it. Uh, we're just going to do an hour on the podcast. So I love you. This is In Between Stations Radio. And uh, be safe. If it's night and uh, tonight is Halloween, <laughs> so when? Uh, this is a Gaelic uh, event ceremony that's thousands of years old uh, beyond the commercialism of, of Halloween and Charlie Brown is some really bizarre, weird stuff. And it's not much different than the stuff that goes on with the tribes here. Tribal reality is much different than our modern reality. So be careful. I know one of the Irish traditions is that a real person that's been has some kind of a disastrous death or, or something connected, connected to witchcraft, a real ghoul or a real spirit entity will come to your door wearing a mask, or maybe it's not a mask, and if you don't answer the door and you give them some kind of... And, you know, feeding the dead is important. With Day of the Dead, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's bread and food that you give to the dead. With these tribes, it's the same thing. And they come and they eat. Have you ever read Odyssey? I think uh, the, uh, uh, the Odyssey by Homer. In chapter, uh, in book 11, it talks extensively about Odysseus going to the Isle of the Dead. Pretty freaky stuff. And he has to feed the dead. So this, this whole thing of feeding the dead, uh, acknowledging them, is extremely important. And so Halloween, that's where the candy comes from and the mask comes from. But... In the older Irish tradition, the Celtic tradition, a spirit deity will come to your house and knock. And if you don't answer the door or if you don't give them some kind of food, it you're in big trouble. Uh, either there's a possession or you're going to have bad luck for the entire year after that. So that's what that tradition, trick or treat. I don't know <laughs> the trick is in parenthesis could, could, could be something far darker and more dangerous than you could ever know. <laughs> this is why you they had these big bonfires in England, and the Wales and Cornwall, the Cornish traditions. You know, there's other languages and, and the British Isles spoke other than English, Anglo-Saxon. There's these, all these very ancient languages like here in northern Arizona that are tribal. And they're still spoken today. And the Gaelic tongue, which is starting to die out, the ancient Gaelic tongue, is still spoke by a small amount of Irish people. And the, the Sowen, uh, the, the root of Halloween, is this about this, this fire that you, you build. 
this, you know, this dark and you build these big bonfires. It's not only eating and enjoying each other and drinking and smashing glasses, you know, and thinking of wakes or funerals that you're at and, and drinking to the ancestor and saying thank you, but it's building these uh, big bonfires with guards that guard the village or the house or the friends from these spirit entities because this is the day they come back to the earth. This is the day they remind people, hey, we used to be alive. <laughs> we, I'm your great-great-grandfather. Do you respect me? Do you love me? Uh, are you appreciative of what I did for you? Part of me is inside of you. I'm your great-grandmother. And, or I'm the person that got in an accident in your family. I'm the person that got murdered or got raped. What did you, do you remember me? Has anybody tried to resolve the, the, the karma in our family, this, this horrible event that happened? Uh, what have you done? Have you had a ceremony for me? Have you made amends? I still grieve over this event that happened 50 years ago. Or I'm the soldier that got killed in the war and I'm forever coming back home forever coming back home and, and the mother keeps the porch light on waiting for her dead son that never rise that's a story in my mom's family uh, one of the most beloved sons in my grandfather's family Joe Thompson he never came back home he had all this money he'd been working in California uh, and he wrote a letter and said mom I'm coming home he's only like 21 years old I have this money I worked hard to help the family out and I'll be back in four days well, it's before cell phones. It's before the internet. It's even before telephones. He didn't come back home. And so my great-grandmother waited and waited for this. He's just this incredibly handsome, strong, uh, very intelligent person. And he decided to leave his little town of Clarkston and go out to California and work in the orchards and fields there and get money and bring it back home to help his family. But he never arrived at the appointed time. And so my great-grandmother would wait for him and wait for him and wait for him. And his letters never came. And, uh, really a sad situation. So until the day my great-grandmother died, she kept the light on for her son, Joe. Uh, and so it's, it's, and it, it haunted the entire family. And I think they never really found out what happened to him. Um, but... Uh, obviously, it was a tragedy. So, um, and I think the police did do uh, some detective work, and there was a woman and man that, like, he stayed with them possibly, and they murdered and killed him or took the money, or I don't remember. Um, but that's what this, this so when Halloween and, and uh, Day of the Dead is remembering the good things and also remembering some of the bad things, and 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 just recreating someone you love like my great-grandfather uh, Henry Hartley remembering him I have his picture of him and his wife he was married twice of, of my two different grandmothers and I have these pictures of him and his stories and and just it's bringing him back to life because he was full of so many good memories and he was just a the storyteller and a beloved figure in the Hispanic uh, community there in Magot Colorado uh, and 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 then I can still talk to friends that are my age that, and older that remember uh, Henry Hartley uh, and, and, and his wife, his uh, beautiful uh, Hispanic wife, Josephine, Josephine Sanchez and her family that traces back to Spanish ancestry and the Pueblos. Uh, and my, and that, they, were, they had a store there in town, a trading post and a fish and tackle store. And, 
um, remembering him and bringing him back to life and remembering that beautiful time period and remembering the war that he was in, World War One, and you can go back to World War Two. So it's it, it can be a good thing, but also remembering that tragedies happened and people were lost. And so yeah, that's 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 a a look, a different look, and a, sort of a, a haunted look at uh, Sowin, at Halloween, uh, at the Day of the Dead, uh, with a little ghost story on the road. So we're going to go to a song now. Uh, if you're uh, listening to us live, we're going to continue on with a really scary story that happened to me, and you're, it's going to freak you out. So let's go to a song. Uh, say goodbye to uh, my uh, to to our um, podcast. Um, uh, audience and uh, we'll continue on so have a very good night and be careful when you go out there on the ghost roads or when you're driving on that lone highway that lone dirt road Let you feel
You're listening to Late Nights, on In Between Stations Radio, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, with host David Hartley. You're listening to Late Nights, on In Between Stations Radio, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, with host David Hartley. (laughs) 